Today we're going to look at the mark of faithfulness or perseverance. Now one of my favorite passages in the Bible is that the work declares that the work that God began in me and in you, He will continue, He will complete, and He'll do it all the way up to the point that we see Him face to face. I'm glad that ultimately, while I have a role, and while I am to strive and labor to the point of exhaustion, and sanctification doesn't just happen like a, like a frog on the lily pad, like Paul told us last week. We, we empty our minds and it just happens. It, it, it happens by our, by our effort, by our labor, by our pursuit of Christ. I'm very thankful that, that God is holding on and it's not dependent upon my grip. If it was dependent upon my grip or your grip, you would have let loose a long, a long time ago. The labor, God ultimately accomplishes the work, the work that He began in you. It's ultimately by God's power in the Bible or the, the great doctrine of the perseverance of the, of the saints. God does that, but, but part of that is your means, the means. You're the means. Your labor is the means to, to accomplish that. And we're going to see that, how all of this plays out in, a, in the summary of two lives. The two lives that are mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. So we're going to go back there today, these final greetings... So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. If you were dependent this morning on seeing the verse on the screen, uh, then shame on you. You need a Bible. You need to bring a Bible to church. Luke and Demas are the two men that we're going to look at this morning. And they send their greetings to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, these two men are grouped together by Paul at the end of his letter, and those names are not there by accident. We've talked about how we can overlook the introduction and the farewell greetings. Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these individuals are listed here to help us, to help us look at their lives and, and to learn something about how we're to live, how God works, how what He says, what He does. You can see a life as a, as a whole but also help us to weave the, the New Testament together. And so these men that are listed here, these, there's a woman that's listed here, come from different locations, they possess different talents, and they're used by God in a different way. We, we learn how to be satisfied in servanthood from Tychicus. We, we learn that your past doesn't need to be your future from On, Onesimus. We, we learned about forgiveness from Epaphras. Well, today we're going to look at a contrast between Luke and Demas and we're going to learn about perseverance, faithfulness. Now, I want you to think of this passage in Colossians. While, while the Word of God is not bound, it's transcendent. I want you to think about the fact that, that what Paul writes here is like a snapshot in time. He, he records something about these two men at this very moment while he's in prison. And this letter is sent to a specific church. But just like in church history... We get to see the end of Luke's life and the end of Demas's life in another part of the Bible. And we're going to see that before we, we end today. So Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Now, Demas is not the beloved physician, but Demas also sends his greetings. And then Paul says, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also in, in Nympha, in the, in the church that is in her house. 
when this letter is read among you, have it also read at the church in the Laodiceans. So here is a possible indication that the Laodiceans also knew Luke and Demas. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Luke and Demas, Paul says, sends their greetings to the Colossian church. Now, I want you to note, both of these men are with the Apostle Paul, ministering to him while he is in Rome under house arrest. We know that. That's where the letter is written. Both are identified with the Apostle Paul publicly, as is evidenced by this letter. Both of them are part of Paul's ministry. So they, they've sacrificed for the Lord to, to be there. They both followed Paul to Rome, which, which meant that they left family and job and, and substance, which was no small sacrifice. I also want you to note that both of these men are numbered with other brethren, and they're etched into Scripture, which meant that they're identified as followers of Christ. And that in and of itself could call discipline, uh, called, cause difficulty. But what's not known by the Apostle Paul or anyone else at the time of this letter, is lurking under the surface in the recesses of the heart where only God can see there's a great difference between these two men. While they looked the same in all areas of their life, they have a very different ending, and Scripture will reveal that. One remains faithful to the very end, and one forsakes ministry and even the faith, and we want to learn how to be in the first category, not the second one, right? I mean, when I look at Luke and Demas, I tremble because my heart is no better than anyone else's. And I also, my second impulse is I want to be Luke and I don't want to be Demas. And things are not always as they seem, are they? I mean, I'm sure you probably bought something online and you looked at the picture and you thought it was really it looked really good, high quality. And when you get it, it's not what was presented on the website. Or maybe you picked up a book and because it looked good on the outside only to, only to read it and find it's not. People can be similar. The dust jacket of a person's life may not reveal whether the story has a good ending or not. And when you look around at the, this morning, you see people beside you, and, and when, you, when you blink because time flies and, and it's a year from now or five years or ten years if the Lord tarries, they may not be there. Now, some may move for a job or go to heaven or some other reason, but some will simply no longer walk with the Lord. And that's a grieving reality. And while it's grieving, it's not new. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 66, He had the same thing happen. The Bible says, From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That is a grieving reality, and yet it's true. Jesus said in the church, there are wheat and there are tares. Don't root up the tares because you'll mess up the wheat. God will take care of that. And you may be here and you may hear those passages and you may be thinking about Luke and Demas and say, how, how sad, how can, that, how can that happen? But I think the question that God wants you to consider this morning is, will you be here? And what is the basis on which you'll be here? 
And what can you do between now and the end of your life to, from, from your standpoint to try to ensure that 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 happens? We ultimately know it depends upon the Lord, but we're commanded to labor and to strive and to pursue. And God, I believe, has placed these two men in the Bible to help us consider that. One of these men has a faithful ending and the other a faithless ending. So if you pull out your pen and paper, if you were looking behind me this morning, I would tell you that there's a contrast here between two lifestyles. From Luke, you see a faithful ending from a life that surrenders and doesn't look back. Faithful ending from a life that surrenders and doesn't look back. And I'll go over that again. From Demas, you see a faithless ending. A faithful ending from a life that surrenders and doesn't look back. From Demas, a faithless ending from a life that holds on and can't look forward. A life that surrenders and doesn't look back or a life that holds on and can't look ahead or look forward. And while you could say a lot about these two men, there is a, they have a very different grip and a very different gaze. Luke holds on to nothing and looks upward. Demas grasps all that he can here in this life, and his mind and heart, is, his eyes is focused, are focused on, on the, the world as well, what they held on to and what they focused on could not have been more different and more distinct. Let's look at Luke first. Luke had a faithful ending, and it was from a life that surrendered and didn't look back. Some of the strongest words about discipleship, the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke. The man will not hate father, mother, brother, sister, yea, even his own life. He cannot be my Disciple. One of those scenarios, Jesus was calling men to follow him, and one of them said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say, to goodbye, say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus then said this, No man after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you know which gospel writer, the only gospel writer that wrote those words? It was Luke. In chapter 9, verse 62, Luke had a firm grip on Christ and he had an eternal gaze. And that constantly set his agenda. But I want you to notice how Paul describes him here. In verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. The beloved physician. Now, we only have a few words here, but we know from the rest of the New Testament, Luke was a significant figure, wasn't he? Luke's mentioned three times by name in the Bible. He's mentioned here, he's mentioned in Philemon, and then he's mentioned at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which we'll look at before we leave today. But the rest of the Bible confirms that he was a significant figure in, in the New Testament days. Paul confirms he's a writer of Scripture. Did you know one of, the, one of the key verses on the defense of the inerrancy of the inspiration of Scripture has to do with Luke? The Apostle Paul quotes Luke in 1 Timothy 5.18, calling it Scripture. He calls what Luke writes as Scripture, 1 Timothy 5.18. This is what Paul says. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. The laborer deserves his wages is from Luke. And Paul calls what Luke writes Scripture. Some five years earlier, 
written some five years earlier. And the Apostle Paul says that is Scripture. Luke also provides us with a gospel, doesn't he? The gospel of Luke, the book of Acts. Both were written while he accompanied the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul was writing Colossians. While Paul was writing Colossians in this prison, called the prison epistle, in this, in this home confinement, while Paul is writing this very letter, Luke is writing his gospel around 60 A.D. and the book of Acts around 61 A.D. Now think about this. These men are together and they're ministering and Paul is writing this letter and Luke is writing his gospel. It's quite possible he wrote most of Acts while in Rome and penned the final chapter when they were departing after Paul was released. My point is this man is no insignificant shadow. And we know from his profession and his vocabulary and his writing he was well educated. But I want you to notice the Apostle Paul doesn't mention any of that. He could have called him the Gospel writer Luke. He could have called him the Evangelist Luke, which surely he was. But he identifies him as the the beloved physician. Why? Because that was Luke's primary calling. And he had surrendered that to the Lord. Luke's primary calling was that of a physician. And he didn't stop utilizing the talents he had before he was saved. When he came to Christ, he just uses them for God now. And when you come to the Lord, you don't lose your abilities. You don't lose your experiences. You just surrender their use to Christ. He was a doctor. He gave up his talents, his career, his resources, his life to Christ, and he never looked back. And that should encourage you if you're here this morning and God hasn't called you to vocational ministry because God has called all of us to ministry. And Luke was Paul's traveling companion and no doubt his personal physician, tending to Paul's chronic illness, whatever that was. And Luke likely gave up a profitable career to follow the Lord and to serve Christ by serving Paul. And here he is, the first medical missionary. Is that how you came to Christ? All you are and all you have? I thought about the uh, hearing about people talking about uh, a lot of people are professing Christians but practicing atheists. They profess one thing, but then their life gives a, tells a completely different tale. Is your whole life Christ? All that you have? All that you are? When you came to Christ, did you, did you not only renounce the things that you used to do, but did you renounce control? Are you, do you really see that you're a bond slave unto the Lord? And that, being that bond slave may mean that you continue in the career that you were before you came to Christ, but now that career, you just do it as unto the Lord. You say, I, I don't feel called to be a pastor or a missionary. Well, whatever you have, whatever God's called you to do, it should be His. Listen, sometimes God redirects careers. I'm, a, I'm an example of that. He redirects careers and lives after salvation because we don't bother to consult Him before salvation. That was me. <laughs> I didn't bother to consult God about what He wanted me to do in life before I got saved. And so He had to redirect my life. He may, sometimes, He may redirect your career. He may lead you to leave one thing and, and like me, go to seminary at 30 years of age and, and do something completely different. He may do that, but He'll always repurpose your life, whatever your life is. 
He may not redirect your life as far as your career is concerned, but He'll always repurpose it. The Lord will use all of those experiences that you had before salvation, good or bad, for His ministry. I was a businessman. I learned finance. I learned certain aspects of the law and management and, and building and strategic planning and all of those things, and the Lord uses that. Tracy had a secular counseling degree, and she learned what not to do. The Lord directs our, redirects our lives, and He may yours if you give Him your life, but He'll surely repurpose it. And what you once did for other reasons, you'll keep doing, but now you'll do it for the Lord. God's work needs all kinds of talents in addition to trained pastors and trained missionaries. The Lord needs businessmen, He needs accountants, He needs construction workers, He needs physicians, He needs servants, He needs marketing specialists. A body shop foreman taught me more about Christian faithfulness than anyone else I know. A farmer taught me more about being a gracious man than anybody else I know. In fact, I named my first son after him. A man who was a CPA taught me more about letting the Scriptures speak and not force an issue than any seminary professor ever taught me. He was the first to teach me that principle. He said, Brian, if there's something that you don't understand when you read the Bible, you just pigeonhole it. Because God will connect the dots whenever He's ready. But don't you try to pull that down there and force it in there and make the Bible say something that it didn't, it didn't say. And here I was, right in the middle of my Christian life, struggling, trying to figure out, well, it says this over here, and, and how does that reconcile with that over there? And I was getting really worked up about it, and he said, don't you worry about that. It's God's Word, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And as you study your, to show yourself approved, God will show you just where exactly where it is. You just, you just set that aside. But don't you dare pull that down there and try to make it say something that God didn't intend it to say. What Luke did as a beloved physician was real Christian ministry. He said, here's my loaves and fishes. Lord, you can have them if you want them. And that's all God asks. He uses people who say, Lord, here's what I have, and it's yours. One of the things that grieves my heart whenever I look around at the church as a whole... And I try not to do that because I'm not responsible for the church as a whole. I'm only responsible for my life and for you. But whenever I see the polished and the staged and the plastic performance and all of that, all of that performance-based church stuff, I hope you know that that doesn't come from God. Most of us are doing things for the first time. Most of us are not superstars, nor will we ever be superstars. And if, if you are a superstar or if you are really talented in a specific area, more than likely what God's going to have to do is break you from your self-dependence and then He can actually use the talents that you have. It makes life harder, not easier, because you're going to depend upon your ability, not God. And here is Luke as a beloved physician. So how does his life end? I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Timothy... Chapter 4, verse 11. Here is another ending. This is the Apostle Paul's ending, the last letter that he would write. And so this is the last farewell address 
This is right after Paul says, I am ready, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. At the very end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, that will be important at the next point, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Only Luke is with me. Paul mentions Luke again in his farewell greeting. And Luke is here, still here, still faithful, even though everyone else had left. Why? Because Luke surrendered whatever he had and he never looked back. He gave all and God used all and that's all God asked. But there's another man that's listed here. And his name is Demas. And you can stay in 2 Timothy because that's where we're going to end. But Colossians says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you greetings and so does Demas. I don't know what comes into your mind whenever you hear the word Demas, probably what's recorded in 2 Timothy, but that's not what the Colossians would have thought. They wouldn't have thought bad Demas. They would have thought faithful Demas, one of Paul's companions, a man in ministry. A man who'd been in ministry with the Apostle Paul for over five years. A man that we know. A man who gave up everything to follow Paul to Rome and to minister to him. But the end of his life tells a different tale. Demas held on to what he loved and he couldn't look ahead. And that's what will happen. That's what will lead you to a faithless ending. A faithless ending comes from a life that holds on to what you have and can't look ahead. Now again, I'm summarizing these, the, the lives of these two men. And that's the way I would summarize Demas' life because of what Paul says about him here. He held on to what he had, and therefore he couldn't look ahead. He, he couldn't set his eyes on eternity. Luke surrendered all that he had and what he had, and God used it, and because of that, Luke never looked back. Now, I want to warn you, whenever we read this about Demas, it's, it's terrifying. It really is. When, when you actually start thinking about Demas and what he looked like on the outside and what Paul thought about him, what everybody else thought about him, and maybe what Demas thought about himself, and whenever you read the end of his life, it, it's terrifying. If it's not, then, then, you're, then you don't fear your own heart enough. And I'm not trying to give you false doubt. I'm trying to say that there's nothing, nothing worth living for other than Jesus Christ. I mean, if you come to the end of your life, I mean, really, just, just get real in your own heart right now. Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, and you come to the end of your life, and you can't say that everything that I've, whatever I've done, whatever I've accomplished is, is, is for the Lord and was unto the Lord, whether you're an accountant or a farmer or whatever it is, then, then your life's been wasted. Can you imagine the regret that will be there on that, on that day? And let me turn that around. You're not there yet. So wherever you've been and whatever you've done in life, you can start today and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Demas is here in Colossians just like Luke. There's no qualifier. He hadn't defected yet. He's listed with the faithful. 
And whatever talents he had at this moment, they're employed in God's service. He looked like one of the group. In fact, Demas is also mentioned three times in Scripture. And the first two times he's mentioned, he's praised. Luke is mentioned three times in Scripture. All three times he's praised. Luke is listed, I'm sorry, Demas is listed in Colossians chapter 4, and he's also listed in Philemon, right, right alongside Luke as part of Paul's companions. He was with Paul during his imprisonment. And he's, he's here when the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, so you know we know he had at least five years of ministry. For Paul to mention somebody by name, it's either to rebuke them or they're a significant partner. Now, you either want to be named by Paul or you, or you really don't want to be named by Paul. You remember when, when Paul calls out the two women to reconcile in the church? Paul mentions, to mention Demas and in the book of Colossians, he must have been a significant partner and he must have been known by the Colossians. It says he greets you, which, which probably means they knew him even before Paul's imprisonment. And while all that's true, it's the third place that Demas is mentioned that tells the tale of his life. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his faithful disciple, and he says, I'm ready to be poured out. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Where's Paul's gaze? It's not now in his imprisonment. It's, it's what's laid up for him in the future. That the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not, not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas doesn't end like he started, does he? By the end of the second imprisonment, this man who was once in ministry, listed among the faithful, known by the church, had forsaken Paul and the Lord. Now there's two keys in this verse that communicate the significance of his ending. Can you think of somebody else that forsook the Apostle Paul in ministry? It was John Mark. And John Mark is also mentioned at the very end of Paul's life. Look at what he says about Mark in verse 11. Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Pick up John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Something had changed in Mark's life. Mark never forsook the Lord. He might have got a little weak need, but he came back. And Paul makes sure that Everyone knows that, you and me included. But there are two keys in what he says about Demas that communicates the significance of his ending. The first is, is the word that he uses here for deserted. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. It means to abandon. It means to forsake. It's a different word than what he used for John Mark. This one's much stronger. This is the word that Jesus uses from the cross when he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the idea of to completely turn one's back. And that's what the Father did upon the sin that was placed on the back of the Son. It's the same word used in Acts 2.27. For you will not abandon my soul 
to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption, the, the word abandon. You won't forsake. You won't, you won't completely turn away from and never come back to. That's the word. Demas deserted, never to return. And Paul was facing death. And you can tell by the letter's tone that he knew it, but Demas didn't just leave Paul. I believe he forsook the Lord from the words that Paul uses here. The force of the words and the phrase indicates apostasy. And Paul chose his words carefully. And seems to indicate Demas was exposed after a, as a fake convert after many years of ministry. Now, to be fair to Demas, we don't know what happened to him after this. But what we know about him from Scripture, his ending is not the same as the way he started. Mark stumbled along the way, got scared, was not able to bear the hardship, but he left Paul in the lurch, but returned, and Demas forsook the faith. Why? Because Demas, unlike Luke, held on to what he loved, and that kept him from looking ahead. Look at verse 10. For Demas having loved this present world. And that's a second key. The word that Paul uses for what he did and the way he describes why Demas did what he did. This present world. Normally, I, I tell you the word world is cosmos. It's where we get cosmetics. It's, it's, to, it, it's that which is arranged. But here, this is, this is a different word. It, it, it means a segment of time. It's this present age. He loved this present age. He loved this, this present time. It's the idea of the temporal world, what will perish. He loved what will perish. He loved what will pass away. And Demas forsook Paul and the work of the Lord because in his heart he held a greater love for the here and now than he did for Christ in eternity. Luke squandered the reward of this life for the rewards of eternity, because he saw the value of the age to come. But Demas squandered the eternal age for what he could have now. Paul is no doubt thinking of the words of, of John. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And what's even scarier to me is that Demas had heard the message, this very message from the apostle. Now remember, while Luke was with Paul, and Luke is writing the gospel, while Paul is writing Colossians, Demas is there. And Demas is listening to the apostle Paul, no doubt. When Paul writes in 1 Timothy, but godliness without contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out of it. Having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. But they that, that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in, their, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Demas heard the apostles say those very words. Is that not like Judas who walked with the Lord Jesus? The pull of the world was too strong for Demas and he abandoned the ministry in the Lord. And while it is wonderful to have the last words recorded about you be Luke alone is with me, 
signifying his faithfulness. Can you fathom the last words recorded in the Bible about you as Demas forsook me, having loved this present world? Church, if, you, if, you're, if you're living for today, all you can ever hope for is, is what you've got. And that's a pitiful, pitiful catch. If we have hope in this life only, we're miserable people. And the reason that Demas never surrendered was because it still had him. And finally the pull got so strong that he returned to where his heart was to begin with. Beware the seduction of this age which whispers the Master is not here and he's gone away on a long journey. Don't be Lot's wife. Because when a person doesn't turn loose of, of what he loves and his love changes, he'll always look back and he can never look ahead to the true goal. And in Colossians you have two men who look the same, but in Second Timothy their end is much different. How's it going to end for you? Will you be Luke? Oh, I believe you will be. I believe many, many, many of you will be Luke. And I hope none of you will be Demas. But Demas is in the Bible to remind us that it's possible. And if you're playing with sin and you refuse to repent, if you're, if you're trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church, Demas could be your end. And you know what's scary? Is I don't think Demas realized it because sin is deceitful. That's what deception means, isn't it? You don't even know that you're being led along with the primrose path to the slaughter, as the Bible says. And so here's two contrasts. Luke surrendered what he had and never looked back. He gave all. The Lord used all. And that's all God requires. And Demas' love for this world never left. And so he couldn't look ahead. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to ask you a simple question this morning. What do you have that God could use? You say, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, how could God use me? That's not the question. What do you have that God could use? Does he, does he have it all? Are you sure? Have you ever laid it all before the Lord and walked away and said, Lord, whatever you want. Have you ever raised the knife to your Isaac, whatever it is, only to have the Lord stay your hand? What do you have that God can use? Will you, will you lay it before Him today? Whatever you have in your heart that rivals Christ, the Lord calls you to turn loose of it. And if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you have never come to the point where you, you repent of your sin, you turn from living your life your own way, and you turn to God and you trust in, in Christ and His finished work. After I pray, there's a prayer room over here, and I want you to, to, while we sing, to get up and go there. And someone will help you to understand the gospel and lead you to the Lord. Whatever you've been and whatever you are, the Lord will take it. He won't leave you that way. He'll give you new desires and a new ability and a new heart. But if you're a Christian and you've been a believer for a while, 
Maybe the reason you don't have any joy. Maybe the reason that that you're struggling is you need to come back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and lay something at the altar, whatever it might be.